This is this Big is Red Face. Brought to you by The Game Reviews and the Unified Gamers Network, you're listening to Big Red Potion, the podcast that always burns toast. I'm your unfathomable host, Joe D'Elia, TGR's previous director, and I'm joined as always by the man who puts the board into Sean White's snowboarding, TGR's editorials and features director, Sinan Kuba. How's Jolly Old England doing these days, good chap? It's not too bad. Mm. It's September, which means that it's getting cold. We get uh, cold earlier than you guys Ooh. get cold over there. I assume. Actually, I don't know. What, how, how quickly does it get cold in New York? It's actually been rainy and shitty for the past, like, week, so I'm not really sure how much better it is over there. Okay. So we're both having terrible Septembers. Wonderful time. Wonderful time. Absolutely. Um, well, now that that unpleasantness is out of the way, let's bring out our wonderful and painfully attractive guest. <laughs> Taking up the third seat this week is Big Red Potion Regular, host of the Gamer Nodes versus Node podcast, as well as a smooth-talking jive master, Eddie Inzato. How's everything going, sir? Wow, smooth talking jive master. That's what I got for you. That's incredible. Everything's uh, doing pretty well. It's actually 81 and sunny where I am. <laughs> but I did just have the unfortunate experience of trying to cook Indian food and not doing it so well. <laughs> so I have, you know, an equal amount of shittiness going on in my <laughs> life. So what you thought that a a nice cool curry would cool you down in the hot <laughs> weather? Yeah, I guess that made a lot of sense, huh? Mm. It's okay. Live and learn. Um, so this week we're going to look into exploration with game, within games. Um, titles like Fallout 3 have encouraged, nay required, you to wander around their in-game worlds. But do most gamers really enjoy doing this? And do they do it for the right reasons? So we'll get this ball rolling and explore this topic. <laughs> I go to you, Eddie. Do you find yourself exploring your games? Absolutely. Even when I'm not supposed to. I just kind of cruise around and uh, look for whatever I could find. I'm really interested in um, the world that's been built for a game to take place in, almost as much as the objectives of the game itself. So unless I'm really rushing through a game, then I'll take the time to to peek around, poke around, and everything. Is there any game in particular that you found yourself unable to look away from? <laughs> um... There are, a f- you mean in terms of uh, exploring? Yeah, like, is there any game in particular that you just, you could not stop looking around, otherwise you would have gone crazy? Oh, uh, Oblivion. Mm. Definitely. I would have in Fallout 3 as well, but uh, I didn't play it as much. But I spent so much time in Oblivion poking around that I didn't really follow the main storyline at all, and I played over 100 hours. Wow. So yeah. in that game, it was more about actually like finding out what there was to see in the world than actually doing what was important in the game. Yeah, exactly. It turned into just me in Tamriel cruising around. Okay. Fair enough. Um, what about you, Sinan? Do you find yourself exploring a lot? Yes, but I'm not sure that I, I explore in the same way Eddie explores. I think I primarily explore games because I'm, I'm a completist. Mm. I feel like I need to see everything and get everything that is to be that is able to be gotten in the world. So, say with Batman Arkham Asylum, which we recently talked about on this podcast, 
I felt at the time when I was playing it that I was exploring the world because it was a really well-designed world, that it was richly detailed and there was plenty to see, lots of little touches from the design team, you know, things on the walls. But I just wonder if I explore worlds because I want to find things and I wonder if I would have explored that world if there were no things like the Riddler challenges and mm. the trophies and stuff to find. So, yes, I do explore worlds, but I'm not sure I explore worlds just to see what's there. What mm. about in something like Fallout 3 or Oblivion, where there's really less to find, it's more just wandering around to see what's there? But the the thing with Fallout 3 and Oblivion is that those worlds are built in a way that you are pushed from pursuing the main quest. You are sort of led towards exploring the world because there's no real push towards exploring the main quest. Mm. So I I think that's not really a case of exploring a world. I think that's a case of there are lots of objectives within this world for you to do. And uh, it's difficult. I think that's exploring by default, if anything. Mm. I'm not sure. Yeah, I understand that outlook on it. So what about uh, the Grand Theft Auto games? I assume you've played those. I feel like it has a little bit of both, because you can go searching around for the packages, like all the hidden packages that were in the older ones, or you could go searching around just to see what's around the corner in the city, or to uh, find a, another quest. So I think something like that includes both types, and for me, I would go searching around the city to see what's there, or maybe to find a quest However, I wouldn't go searching for all those ridiculous packages. Would you find yourself doing the, the package hunts or, or hunts of that sort, Sinan? That's a really interesting example because I didn't go looking for the packages, but I think I did hmm. just go around that world. And I, I wonder if it's because of the nature of how you move through that world because you're, you're driving from mm-hmm. everywhere. You drive, you can't just, you know, uh, zoom straight to a location you have to drive to it and i think the most exploring i did was by accident in that world because generally i'm bad at following directions within that game (laughs) so i would find things by accident when it when it comes to walking around in liberty city i don't think i explored really i felt like i just needed to get from a to b Mm. so again i i mean this is very subjective this is just how i play games Mm. But I, I'm not sure that there's been a world I've played in where I've just thought I'm going to look around because it's exciting to look around. Like there's not been any ulterior motive. I, I'm just not sure that I can name an example of that. I feel like I'm the same way, especially with the Grand Theft Auto games. Even though the world is so huge and there's so much to see and do, I kind of found myself sticking to the path and just going from one point to another and even taking the taxi cabs whenever I could just so that I wouldn't have to waste time driving across the, the land. I really didn't explore that much in, in those games. Um, but it, you mentioned being a completionist, Sinan. Like, in a game like Batman Arkham Asylum, do you actually go for every little last thing that there is to get? Like, did you get all 240 of the Riddler challenges? I did not, but that's because I made a conscious decision when I finished the main story arc of that game to not continue with it. Okay. I felt like I just reached a point with it and that you know I, I think uh, as much as I am a completist when I do get closure within a game I can just go right I don't need to get everything else which is a bit oxymoronic or paradoxical <laughs> maybe but um, what I'm trying to say is when I'm actually playing through the game 
you know, progressing down that main story arc, I felt like I had to go find every Riddler challenge or every trophy whilst I was doing it. Mm-hmm. So mm. it's a different kind of completionism. I can understand that, though. I have a similar thing, similar habit, I guess, as I play games, in that if there's a certain section of a video game that can be explored to a certain extent, then I'll, I'll like, say I'm uh, in a dungeon and I'm on one floor, I'll try to cover the entire floor before moving on to the next, or I'll try to cover a whole section of a map before moving on to the next um, incremental, you know, plot trigger. And I think that that's sort of similar. No, I think that's exactly it. Like, the best example I can think of is Fable 2, because it leads you down those golden breadcrumbs towards its main objective, but there are those paths that come off from the main track. And I don't feel like I can continue down that golden breadcrumb path until I've explored each of those side paths. Mm-hmm. But I will get then once that once that's done, I will go back onto the to the golden breadcrumb line, and I won't return back after that. You know I'll, that that bit's done. I'll move on to the next bit. What about in the games that are all like collection based, like uh, the Mario sixty fours or the uh, Banjo Kazooies, those types of things? Do you find yourself completing those games one hundred percent, getting every little last uh, you know star or whatever have you in the game, or is it more of just a uh, there's more of a compulsion that when you're in a level, you kind of have to look around a little bit, and if you pass it, you're you're done with it. You don't need to go back. Uh, for those, I have to collect everything, like mm-hmm. every star, because okay. there's um, it's like a currency. Each of those stars or jigsaw puzzle pieces, I have to get everything to to reach the 100%. Right. There's a measure of, of success, I guess you could say, in those, as opposed to just uh, personal gratification. I, I'd, I'd go with Eddie. I'm exactly the same. I got all 120 stars in Mario Galaxy, but I think that's different. That's just me redefining what I think is the end of that game. Mm. I, I just told myself I haven't finished this game until I've got all 120 stars. Mm. Whereas with Arkham Asylum, I could tell myself I finished the game when I got to the end of the story. Maybe that just suggests that I was enjoying the story most about Arkham Asylum, whereas I was enjoying the, enjoying the gameplay most about Super Mario Galaxy. Right. Yeah, I could definitely uh, agree with that because uh, I remember. And don't ask me why I did this. Um, I really don't have an explanation, but for Donkey Kong 64, I did 102% in that game. Um, and if you've ever played that game, it is literally 100% collecting stuff. And yeah. it's incredibly aggravating. And I spent 65 hours collecting everything in that game, and for really no reason whatsoever. It wasn't exactly fun most of the time. But then you go to a case like Infamous, where, as Sinan did in Batman, I kind of went around and collected everything as I went, yet the second I finished that story, I dropped the game, and I never really had interest to go back and finish it. Uh, finish collecting everything it is. So, um... I guess people kind of do define exactly where the where their ending is going to be. Like they'll, you know, for me personally, I'll collect every little last thing while I'm playing sometimes, and then I'll just drop it. Or in a case like Bioshock, I will spend an enormous amount of time going around to each and every little room, finding every little last thing I can, and and, and utilizing it. I guess it depends how much you get into the world. Like like Eddie said, he got so into oblivion that he just wanted to wander around and see everything that he could, regardless of whether or not it would reap any benefits for his character. All right, so we've all basically said the way that we explore our games and the types of exploration that we do. Do you guys think that most gamers really explore their game worlds, or is the fact that there's just so many damn games out right now, is that kind of ruining uh, people's willingness to wander around and look look at everything that there is to be seen? 
That's a tough question to answer. I hope um, so. I, <laughs> I just know everything about everybody. <laughs> no, um, I think, I think it depends on, well, I guess that's sort of a cop out. I was going to say it depends on the type of gamer, but in a sense that some play, some gamers play one genre of game a lot more than other genres. So I think the people who focus on things like maybe platformers and things that are collection-based are more likely to be completionists, whereas people who play maybe, I don't know, very very story-driven games or very just action-based games are less likely to spend the time going outside of the story or away from the action to do the collection or exploration. I think a, a safer line of answering this question is to say that probably from the 90s to now gamers have stopped exploring their worlds as much mm. I would I would say that there are more games out now than there ha- have ever been and I'm, when I say that I mean more high quality games games are more mainstream than they've ever been before and I think they're longer than they've ever been before and I think if you the people like me, like yourself, who were playing games in the 90s, we didn't buy as many games as we used to. And I, I know that maybe the the me who got all there was to get in Super Mario World, even like the extra levels, the second time around may not have done that because he may have felt that he had to move on to the next game. And I think that's... And the other problem is that as games journalists or people who write about games, we're not exactly qualified to answer this question. Hmm. You know, subjectively at least. I feel I think that we have an obligation to play a certain number of games a year because we yeah. have to be knowledgeable about games. So, really, whilst Eddie said it, it, it's a cop-out, I think there is some grounding to the answer that there are different types of gamers who play games in a different way. And I, But, I, like I said at the, at the top of this answer, I feel like, generally, we explore worlds less as, a, as gamers than we used to. Hmm. To be fair, I think that uh, in recent years especially, uh, games have become a lot better at uh, actually giving you a purpose to explore, like giving you more rewards. Like, I mean, in Infamous, for example, you get upgrades for your character if you take the time to go around and find all these little things. A lot of games do that now. They give you upgrades, they give you new weapons, Bioshock, you can get extra money to buy new stuff. Um, And I think that, uh, you know, in a way, the design kind of influences people to look around a little bit more than they would have. I know personally, if there was zero reward, like Donkey Kong 64 had zero reward for doing all that that searching around. If they gave me a game now that gave you no real purpose to do these things, I probably wouldn't bother. Kind of like in Bionic Commando, there was these hidden icons everywhere that did absolutely nothing for you, and I didn't bother. But in a in a game like you know as I said Bioshock, there is a reason to explore. They it actually helps you in the game. It advances you. Um, and same thing in Fallout. Same thing in Fable. So I think those little incentives kind of do drive a certain group of people to keep pushing on and to keep looking around even more so than they have to to beat the game. That's interesting the way you word that. So what you're saying is the and I'm gonna get I'm gonna get specific on it. Pre achievements, pre trophies, pre rewards in games. Are you saying that you didn't get anything from completing Super Mario World, you know, all those extra levels, or are you saying that that's different to the rewards that you're talking about now? I mean, yes, the achievements thing is is does add an extra layer of incentive onto things, but I think even just as a matter of reward, in-game, there is they give you more now than they used to. I mean, if you look at Mario 64... 
the only thing you get for getting 120 stars is you get to see Yoshi on top of the castle. <laughs> I mean... But that used to be enough for us. Right. That used to be satisfactory. Absolutely. That used to be above and beyond what you would expect out of doing something like that in the game. Right. But now it's like, hey, if you collect all these things, you're going to be a stronger, better character, and you can kick way more ass than you could have previously. And I think that the, by putting it into the design of the game, by giving you these extra rewards while you're playing, it adds extra incentive to get it. And that's not just achievements. That's also, you know, actual character-based stuff. Like Fallout, I mean, you can get... If you explore, you can get weapons that are so much better than the ones you would get from just fighting, like, all the bosses in that game that it would it would it'd actually give you a purpose to do that. And I think that that is a, a reason why some people, even if they do have a lot of games to play, like myself, would go around and spend the extra time doing that in a the game these days. Yeah, I think that the in-game achievements are a great incentive to uh, explore your world more fully. As for... Um the prefab, you know, Xbox achievements and uh, PlayStation trophies. I don't know that those are as influential on my personal gameplay style as uh, in-game rewards would be. Do you think that that's really exploration when you're only exploring to find something rewarding? Because I would argue that in real life, we don't go exploring an area just so that we can find something rewarding. We explore it because we want to see it. So, you know, say when we're walking around some preserved uh, area, we're, we're not walking around it because we're hoping that we might find a treasure chest down one of the beaten paths. <laughs> we're, we're wandering around it so that we can see the world. This is the question I was asking myself regards Batman Arkham Asylum. I could see that that world was very special, that the designers had done, had done a great job with it. But I wonder if I'd taken the time to explore it if there weren't all those rewards. And I'm just not sure I define exploring a world as ridding it of all the things that uh, I can find in it. You know, mining a world. That's what I would call it, mining a world. Mm. I think another thing, uh, sort of along the same lines, is that I need some sort of element of mystery, I think, in my game world in order to be motivated to explore it to its fullest. If I know exactly what's around the corner or what I'm going to get from going here, then I can choose to to go there or not to. But if there's an element of mystery and I don't know what's ahead of me, then I'm more likely to see what is there. Mm. I think I think that's another thing. Well, to go with with your both saying, I think that you know, just like in real life where, you know, if if someone said to me, hey, would you like to go explore the mountainside and see what we can find? You know, I probably wouldn't be that apt to do it just because of my own personality. But if someone said to me, hey, let's go explore the mountainside, maybe we'll find buried treasure. I would probably <laughs> say yes, and I would go do it because maybe I'll get some buried treasure out of it. So I think that, you know, but there are other people that will gladly, you know, take a three-hour hike through the woods just to find, you know, trees and, and, and really great views from within those mm -hmm. woods. And I think that that's, that's kind of like the same way in games. Like some people, like me personally, I didn't explore Fallout 3 uh, just to explore it because the world was so huge and I had spent 60-plus hours doing basically just the missions in that game. I didn't really want to spend another 10 finding all of the, the towns that I didn't get to see or anything like that. I didn't find the alien ship or anything like that. But I know my friend, uh, my friend Jason, he actually spent 
way more hours than I did just walking around. He actually, instead of uh, unlocking all of the map points at level 20 like I did, he actually went to every little corner of the map and unlocked them himself by walking through them. And he said he did it not for the rewards or anything like that. He just wanted to see what was out there in the world of Fallout 3. And, you know, it's the same game um, by two people with similar gameplay styles, yet his personality led him to do something that mine didn't. So I think it's more of like, you know, a personal standpoint thing. Like, I define exploring as finding, going to find something that I can use, whereas someone else would define it as, yeah, I'm going to go see what I can see, and, and that's where I get my enjoyment. At the risk of sounding like I'm going to say you're playing it wrong, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would question whether you're achieving something by playing a video game. I would question the rewards that you're finding within a video game are actual rewards. You know, I'm not saying that they don't help you progress through the world or that, you know, you didn't enjoy finding them, but I'm, I think what I'm saying is that at the end of the day, when you enter a video game, you're entering a fictional world where nothing actually rewarding in reality is going to be gained. And I don't think you can classify achievement points as something that's rewarding in reality. No. So I would question whether the rewards you're finding in games are actual rewards or just incentives to help you progress through a game quicker. I don't know if it's to do it quicker. I think that, I mean, a lot of, especially in games recently where there's a deep upgrading systems and, and levels and stuff like that, I mean, a lot of the time you're basically playing this game just to make yourself more powerful in-game. I mean, you're doing a lot of, like, grinding and killing a bunch of things that you don't really need to and seeking out areas that have a lot of guys that you, especially in Fall, this is pretty much what I'm thinking of as I'm describing this, but you're looking for things basically to get your character more powerful. You're looking to level up. And I think that, that in itself is something that you try to strive towards. I mean, you know, yes, you can beat Fallout 3 at level, you know, as a level 15 character or something, and it's fine, but it's way more fun to be a level 30 character and to be able to slaughter things much easier with a much uh, better uh, array of weapons in your arsenal. And I think that if you value that, if you value the in-game power um, in a way, that it is worth exploring, and you do get a reward out of it because you get to, um, in a way, enjoy the rest of the game a little bit more. And I think that that's kind of, you know, in a game like uh, Infamous, for example, like getting uh, the shards around the city, that kind of gives you a little bit more uh, electricity power. And in a way, that made my game experience a little bit better because I was a more powerful character. So I justified uh, searching for those things while I was playing as a way to better myself in the game. So I don't really see it as, I do see it as a, as a reward, actually, an in-game reward. And even though it's, yes, it's a fake reward that I can't take with me into the real world, but it's something that will make my playthrough of that game all the more enjoyable. I think that is true for a certain type of gamer and for a gamer who plays games for a certain reason. I think we have to question why we play video games in the first place when we're thinking about why we explore or don't explore. Because you just described to me a gamer who who wants to win, who wants to win the game, basically. Mm. But there are other gamers who want to experience a different world or to to maybe just enjoy being within the realm of this video game and right. not necessarily so focused on driving towards the end or being the king of the hill so to speak. Hmm. And I think that 
um, that initial mindset for entering a video game world has a great bearing on your reasons for exploring or not, like your style of play overall. Sure. I think that's a fantastic point. And I think, Joey, you are describing yourself as someone who prefers to beat a game than as someone who prefers to explore a game. But what I would question is your use of the word if, as in, if I choose to explore a world, I can be more powerful, uh, defeat it better, whatever you, you want to describe it as. I would argue that video games have conditioned us into this way of play. You know, I, I immediately think of the Final Fantasy games, where basically if you weren't wise enough to go down each path and get every single bit of treasure there was to get and defeat every single enemy that there was to defeat, then you would not be able to progress with the game. And I think it's... The play you're describing is not exploration. It's progressional-based. Mm. It's about being able to progress through that game better. And it get, it, that may sound very vague, but it doesn't sound to me like you're exploring a world. It sounds to me like you're mining a world. And I think that's a very, very different thing. I'm not saying, again, I'm trying not to say you're wrong, but I will say that it does kind of sadden me because I think video games are becoming richer in their worlds. And I think it's, you are missing out something if you don't feel like you can explore a world and enjoy it visually. And I think I'm missing out on something because of the way video games have conditioned me to play them, actually. Like, I wish, like I'm saying, I wish I could explore that world of Arkham Asylum without feeling like I'm not gaining something by doing it. In a way, yes, I do like to in a way, blow through games and get to the next one and so on and so forth. But in a, like, there's also games that don't provide you with those rewards. And right. I do find myself exploring every little last area. Because, you know, it, it's kind of... I don't think it's just one or the other. I don't think it's black or white. I think it's more that, you know, I get enjoyment both out of the exploration and out of the rewards that I reap from doing such exploration. Because, I mean, you know, if the world of Fallout was boring... If I didn't enjoy seeing the environments and finding new little things to follow, I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have done it just to grind my way to the top level, in other words. Sure. Um, but I did enjoy the world of Fallout, and I did uh, like playing it enough to, to get that far. And, and I guess Mass Effect was a good example of that, because in that game, um, a lot of the auxiliary planets in that game were very boring and very monotonous. It was just kind of you know, a, a plain dirt environment with a bunch of guys that you have to kill. And you could, of course, go to each one of them and, you know, get yourself to max level. Or you could just basically, you know, skip to the um, more interesting parts of that the galaxy and find all the, the better missions and, and see the better design worlds and do that stuff. And that's what I chose to do on my first run. I skipped a lot of things because I didn't want to be grinding in, in times that I wasn't really enjoying it. And I think that, it, again, it's all based around the world, the, the way that the designers t like take the time to design a world that you actually enjoy being within. And if I can enjoy being within a world, I will seek out whatever I can within that world. But, you know, again, like Bionic Commando, I didn't enjoy exploring that world. There was nothing much to it. So I kind of just stuck to the track and kept going through that game. I'm wondering something. We're talking about games that are generally semi-open world where you can choose to explore or not, but there's always some sort of driving goal at the end. And, like, there is an end to the game, there's an end to the story, there's a final boss to defeat, whatever. What about games like 
Endless Ocean, for example. How much exploration does one do in, ex- in Endless Ocean, or, or does someone even play Endless Ocean if they have no interest in playing a game where they can't finish a story or beat an end boss? Because really, there's no choice there. All it is is going into the water and exploring. There's no final goal. And to a lesser extent, a game like Animal Crossing, which has smaller goals uh, or personal goals that you can create out of the mechanics of the game world, but still doesn't have any final overarching goal. Do you even do you play those types of games, Joe? Or do you think um, there are some gamers who just avoid them 100% because there is no overarching goal? That's the thing. I've, I've always in my life been kind of goal-focused with my games. I picked up Animal Crossing on the GameCube, and I tried it, and I liked it for a few days, but I realized that what I was doing wasn't... I didn't feel like I was getting the enjoyment out of it that I know some other people did. Like my girlfriend, for example, she loved that game, and she played it for weeks. And The Sims is another great example, because I didn't feel like what I was doing in that game um, mattered as much as the games I'm used to. And that could just be that I'm conditioned by so many other games that I almost expect there to be an all, like a motive for what I'm doing and for there, there to be some type of goal that I have to get towards. Because when I played stuff like The Sims, it didn't really click with me as much as it did with other people. And the same thing why I don't play MMOs. Um, they just feel right. too open for me, and I don't really like the way that... Um, I don't really like the way that they're laid out. Mm-hmm. And um, that's why I've kind of... I've tried all those types of games, but I've never really been able to get into one of them. I think that's... An- Absolutely superb point, Eddie. I think what you're touching on is something I wrote about earlier this week about how we define sandbox. And I know this is something you talked about with Christos on the Game and podcast a while back. And I think you guys brought up Burnout Paradise, if I'm right. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. Christos did. Christos did. Okay, because I've been playing that over the last couple of weeks. And... I was led to believe that it was a sandbox experience, whatever that is. That's how everyone had been hyping it. This is the ultimate sandbox racer. And when I played it, I started to realize this is not a sandbox at all. This is just a world with lots of separate objectives. Mm. This is a progressional game. The idea of this game is to get and do and see, not see, sorry, because otherwise that would change the definition. It's to get and do everything within that world. It's to go through all the gates do all the events, uh, basically clear up every single thing that you can so you can get 100% by that percentage completed sat on the pause menu. And the game pushes you into thinking that way. It hands out trophies and achievements every few, every few minutes. It, you're doing something without even realizing you're doing it. So you just drive through and you make a turn, and then you've gone through some gates, and you've contributed something towards progressing through that game. And because that main overriding arc within it of getting the licenses, it's really downplayed. What you just have is a world with lots of separate objectives, and I think that applies to lots of games. I would say that applies to Oblivion, that applies to Fallout 3. All these supposedly sandbox open-world games are just worlds where there are lots of things to do, Mm. and there's no pressure on you to do them in a certain order. Whereas I would argue something like Endless Ocean, or maybe even more accurately something like Nobi Nobi Boy and mm-hmm. The Sims. Right. Those are true playground games. You know, getting back to the idea of when we think of a sandbox, a child playing in a sandbox, that that 
and I'm not just trying to limit it down to creativity. I'm, what I'm saying is that, that the exploration you're doing in that is not about finding everything there is to find or seeing everything there is to see. It's about really exploring and playing around with that world. And uh, I would say those games are sandbox games. I don't know what games like Fallout 3 and Oblivion are, but in my definition, they're not sandbox. Maybe just open-world adventures. Yeah, I'd say they're open-world adventures. Uh, lots of li- little adventures in an open world. But the idea... You know, and especially, I think the achievements with games really leads you into thinking that you have to do everything in a game because you are given a reward for doing everything in the world. Mm-hmm. Whereas, I don't think that's really what a sandbox is about in any way, shape or form. I don't think you put a kid in a sandbox and you say, find all the sand in the sandbox. <laughs> <laughs> Build a castle with this number of spires and you get a special uh, cookie. Exactly. That's not sandbox gaming. I think we've gotten to a point where we see anything open world and we describe it as sandbox, and that's wrong. Mm. But do you really think that, like, there could be more sandbox experiences out there? Like, do you think you can make something like, uh, I don't know, like Grand Theft Auto into a true sandbox, where it's just a city and go go have fun in it? Do you think people would actually be interested in something like that? I don't think the technology is there to do something like that. So mm. what I would argue is that if you wanted to make Grand Theft Auto Sandbox, the city reacts much more to what you're doing in it. So if you're shooting things in a particular area, that area becomes destitute and new things start to pop up as a... You know, it's it's reactionary. It's a reactionary world, isn't it? It's a world that reacts to you and changes because of what you're doing. And I think that's what The Sims does beautifully, is what you decide to do changes the world and it becomes something different each time. So, okay, and The Sims is arguably limited because there isn't much in a way that you can do. But it's the concept that what you do creates lots of different possibilities. Uh, whereas in Grand Theft Auto 4, it's, there's a linear storyline and lots of little side quests. But in a way, doesn't Fable 2 do that? Like if you buy up all the land in a specific town and you raise the prices, you'll put that town out of business and people will be homeless. And the little decisions you do make do affect certain parts of that world. And I haven't beaten Fable 2, so I can't give any specific examples. But from what I understand, a lot of what you do in that game changes the way that Albion is. So in a way, even though that is technically a linear game because there is a beginning and an end, there are certain things in that game that do react to what you're doing. I think you're probably right. Yeah. I just don't really like Fable 2. <laughs> I would say that that game has more sandbox if you want to uh, define sandbox with a more dictionary uh, appropriate definition elements than do a lot of games that gamers typically describe as sandbox because of what you just mentioned. Yeah. What I would would say is that the problem with Fable 2 is that it was was almost too easy to manipulate that world. Uh, You know, you could just go through it and say, if if I want this area to be full of people who love me, then all I have to do is a couple of things. And I think with that kind of game, I would look for something that challenged me more to manipulate a world. And uh, I'm inclined to agree with what Sinan said earlier about the technology not really being there for a sandbox game that is very complex. If you look at the true sandbox games, 
they're generally pretty simple. But to create a world or even just a city like Liberty City that is truly a sandbox, you would need uh, an extensive amount of technology. You need procedural AI. You need economic systems in place that respond to your every action. You need a lot of uh, development power there to really uh, get your final effect that you're aiming for. So I don't think we we have that yet. <laughs> yeah, I would say that when you think of the games which I'm I'm allocating as being sandbox, they're very simplistic games like The Sims right. and Sim City and Animal Crossing to some extent, where yeah, the, there isn't too much that's complicated. Having said that, there is an argument, Eddie, that maybe if we didn't focus so much on graphics, that would make <laughs> worlds like Liberty City more easily complicated and reactionary to a player's actions. Um, I guess that's possible. I mean, it it comes down to a question of using your technical resources um, when you're talking about graphics versus uh, game content. But right. there, are, there are also just uh, there's the the fact that you have to create systems uh, that that work to produce an, a sandbox environment that I don't know that anyone has even thought to put together. Like there's a basic architecture of of the re- that the real world has, you know, right. that that you have to apply to a video game world, and to do that. I think require I'm not a coder or you know any any of that sort of thing, but I think that it's more complex than just saying oh I don't have enough RAM to do this because I'm using it on graphics. Maybe the best example I've ever encountered of sandbox gaming is one that people have forgotten about actually, and it's when in Sim City 4 you could import Sims from your Sim City 2 save file, so mm-hmm. you could manipulate the life of this uh, Sim. Within, Sims, uh, within the Sims 2, sorry, and then bring him into this city that you created in SimCity 4. And that's just a, this crazy mesh of possibility. Like, there's so much that stems from that. But what you did to your Sim, how you changed him in Sims 2, would affect how he prospered within the city in SimCity 4. But how you built up that city in SimCity 4 would affect how your Sim prospered within it. So you've just got this whole realm of possibility within these two actually quite deep games compared to their predecessors. And unfortunately, SimCity 4 never really caught on. And The Sims 2, well, did, but I, I expect not many people who had The Sims 2 had SimCity 4. So it's oft, you know, oft overlooked. But that's, that appeals to me as a kind of sandbox gaming, where it's about possibility, right? Rather than exploration, surely. But do you think that if they did create a true sandbox, as you described... Do you think that anyone would really want to play that type of experience? I mean, look at Nobi Nobi Boy. That game, I know it's a very strange-looking and playing game, but it, it, it did not do well at all. It was pretty much ignored. Um, and do you think that, like, if they actually created, say, a Liberty City that you could just run around and do whatever you wanted within, and there was no actual missions or ending to it, but it was just this world that you could play with, a sandbox, do you think that gamers, by and large, would be interested in that type of thing? Would it well, have the Grand Theft Auto brand on it? No. I don't think they would ever take, have the balls to put that branding on a game like that. 
Um, so you say it did. Say it did. Say they, they branded it Grand Theft Auto, but they explained this doesn't have a story or a beginning or an ending or missions or anything like that. It's just a, a Liberty City to play within. Do you think that it would sell? Uh, sure, it would sell, but I don't know what the backlash would be after people actually saw what it was. That's why I asked, would it have the Grand Theft Auto branding? Mm-hmm. I'm getting into yeah. just the uh, the propensity to to buy games based on their titles, but that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> Well, hang on, hang on. I want to I want to define this wall that you're supposing, Joe. So you're saying there's yeah. no missions, but surely if it's a sandbox game with this reactionary world, missions occur because the world changes. Some if it's if it is this complicated, technologically impossible world that we're imagining, then something you do may create a mission to be germinated. So it isn't. Yeah, theoretically. It isn't like it, sure. I was just gonna say it's not like it's not Grand Theft Auto's gameplay. This is not what I'm trying to say. I don't want you to create a world that doesn't have the gameplay of Grand Theft Auto for mm. or, or the Grand Theft Auto games, but one that isn't set, I guess, that can change. That when you... And I, this is actually getting a little bit off from the discussion of exploration, but I think that is the idea of exploration, that you don't know what's around the next corner. Whereas I feel like with all of these games that we've described, you kind of do, because of the, of the way the world is set. Once you've done it once, you've done it once. That's it. And I don't think that's really exploring something, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like in this in this Grand Theft Auto um, imaginary game, theoretically you could see a bank and choose to set up a robbery by right. going to the black market uh, jackhammer trader mm. and drilling under the, you know, like, there, there's just anything you wanted to do, and then you would have to deal with the consequences, because there would be the reaction of the police force, and whatever else you may dream up would be possible, but that comes back to, can that be done yet? Actually, I'm also going to make a point that I think, of any audience, the Grand Theft, Audio, Grand Theft Auto audience, are more likely than most to actually accept a, sand, a sandbox version of their game, because when you think about it, the way most people play Grand Theft Auto is to muck around with its crime mechanics, you know, to mm-hmm. rob a car and see, can I get as many stars as possible? And that in itself is a kind of sandbox gaming because the the way that game's engine works, you don't quite know what's going to happen around the next corner. So I would argue that actually most people play Grand Theft Auto not for its story, and we saw that with the backlash with what happened with Grand Theft Auto 4 and how much emphasis it played it placed on its story. Mm. So I think maybe that's actually a really good example of a mainstream game that would suit being customized into something more sandbox. That you can explore. Yes. <laughs> to bring us back <laughs> on topic. Oh yeah, exploration. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. What are we talking about? <laughs> Derailed. It's okay, it's okay. Um, Alright, so just one more example then. What about Heavy Rain? That game is, it does change depending on the way that you react, when you, way that you handle certain situations. It does kind of let you decide your own path. Uh, every, you know, scenario has multiple different ways, and they're all based on ways that you would really be able to solve that situation. So anything that you could think you could do in real life, you'd probably be able to do in that situation in the game. And everything you do, if you've got a character die, if you save a character, if you talk to this person, you'll see them later in the game. If you don't, they won't be there. It's very reactionary to the way you play it. What about, do you see that as a type of sandbox game? I see that as a 
video game version of a choose-your-own-adventure book. <laughs> or, or, or just a game that has multiple stories layered into it that you pick and choose as you go. Yeah, to create your thinking. Source <laughs> so your head. <laughs> so the fact that it's locked to a certain key amount of choices is basically what keeps that from being a fully sandbox experience. Right, yeah. Okay. That's what I would say. Okay, fair enough. Well, I, I would I would argue that it's closer than something like Fallout 3. It, it's difficult because what you're kind of choosing between is a physical version of Choose Your Own Adventure in some ways and, mm. a, and a story-based one. Because that's what I think Oblivion and Fallout 3 are closest to. They're physical versions of choose-your-own-adventure books. And the stupid thing about them is that the end is always the same place. Right. That's that, So that they're even less of choose-your-own-adventure than something like Heavy Rain. Because at the end of the day, all you're doing is doing all these little, little individual things that barely contributes to this big overriding thing that you're supposed to be doing. Mm. I'm not saying it's bad, I'm saying that to call it sandbox is really missing the point. Well, I think it's... I think the term sandbox, in a way, has been kind of adapted to the way we kind of understand it to be in a video game. I understand it's not a true sandbox. You can't just play with it in any way that you want. Um, which is why when um, they were when the developer of Nobi Nobu was talking about the game, he didn't describe it as a sandbox. He described it more as a playground, and that you could just kind of go into it and have fun with anything in the game that you want to have fun with, but there's no real point to it. So I think sandbox kind of has its own definition now within games, and that's you know like again, it's it's been accepted that Fallout 3 and Fable and all of those other games are sandboxes within gaming, even though technically that as you've been saying, that's not really true. I don't think that has been accepted by everyone, actually. I would argue a lot of people... Certainly not by Synapse. No, not at all. (laughs) Thank you very much. No, but I'd argue that I'm not the only person who's questioning the the use of sandbox as a term for these games. I would say that it's lazy writing, actually, and I don't think that everyone has accepted it as being sandbox. I think we... You know, we talk about video video games growing up. We've also got to talk about video game criticism growing up. We've got to get rid of lazy terms like linear and and sandbox, because those are clearly not the only two ways to describe games. And yet, we see it happening time and time again. Either a game is linear or it is sandbox. That's simply not true. Mm -hmm. No, I totally agree with you. I didn't mean to, like, you know, make it seem like you were all by yourself there, because I agree. I I don't even like the term video game. I think that's wrong. (laughs) To God. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to go on a separate tangent, yeah, I totally agree, yeah. buddy. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, Linear to me describes uh, Ninja Gaiden, the f- original one on Nintendo. Right. You know, that where you're going left to right in a linear fashion, and you end up at the end, and you can't go back a screen. Or can you go back a screen? I don't know. Right. But that's Linear, and a lot of things that we describe as Linear now are not. UK Ninja Fat Pigeon through Game and Scrooge Cast. TheGamerScene.com. The UGN offers a little something for everyone, from the serious analysis of Big Red Potion to the fun but well-informed Game Adult UK. 
Frugal Gaming will bring you gaming bargains to help keep your hobby alive, whilst Ninja Fat Pigeons offers one of the best and friendliest communities on the internet. And if you're one of us mature gamers, find like-minded comment with thegamerscene.com. www.unifiedgamersnetwork.com Say, just to, to kind of try, I guess, kicking and screaming back to the idea of exploration. I wanted to ask you guys something. Do you think, thinking back of, of games where basically there's a path in front of you and there are paths going off to the left and the right with treasures there, if you explore them, or not treasures, you know, that they might just be dead ends, we still see that happening in games. Do you think that's acceptable game design? Sure. Why? Yeah, that's why is that acceptable? Because um, if I'm walking through the woods and I'm trying to get to the other side, I may take one of three paths and one may lead into a swamp that I can't traverse. So I'll have to go there, see what's at the end of that path, come back and then try again. It's, it's a basic like maze structure. Um, and I think that's okay because it, to me, it, it makes me want to see what's at the end of every path before moving forward. It's it's a little bit artificial, maybe, because it's limited to paths as opposed to just go anywhere, but I'd still say that's acceptable as that type of game. I think you're right in principle, right? But I think the way that these... Because this is, happens in, in games... This has happened in games for quite some time. We've seen game design where there is a main path and there are paths coming off from that main path. Sure. And I think how it conditions the player to play is to go explore everywhere and then get back, on, back onto the main path. And I think, I'm thinking of the Final Fantasy games in particular mm-hmm. because you can always tell what's the main path in those games. And especially when you've got the map indicating you at the top right, you know, where giving you an idea of the, the landscape you can tell what's the main way to go, but you know that if you don't go down these paths, you're missing out on something that could potentially help you throughout the game. Why should I be punished for being more straightforward? For Because think about it. How many games are about doing something within a set amount of time, about emergency situations, right? In an emergency situation, you don't think, oh, I better go down this side alley and see if there are any extra bandages. You think, I better go to the guy who's wounded and help him as soon as possible. And yet we see so many games with emergency situations with side paths. And that seems ridiculous to me. Mm. So you think it should be more of a straight line in some cases? Well, I don't think a player should be punished for not exploring side paths. I, that, that's maybe where I get annoyed with games. I think it's, in a way, it's padding. Right, yeah. It's just an, an artificial um, expansion of a game with minimal substance in right. that experience. You know. But I, I, to, to, to provide an example, not just you know categorize everything with rewards for looking around, I would say the stuff in Arkham Asylum is excellent game design because you are looking around that world. You are, and I mean looking in the literal term, you are looking at that world. You are trying to find something that's hidden. That's better game. That's I don't mind that there's rewards in there because 
it makes me appreciate the world around me rather than just think, well, I better go left and see if there's extra treasure there. Right. It's within a. It's within the world as it was before those ex- those additions were added. In a game like Final Fantasy, you could, if you took a, a drawing of the map and erased one of those paths, the game would still be intact, just right. just the same uh, as a whole. Whereas in Arkham Asylum, you have your your game world and everything else is within it, yes. as opposed to an appendage to it. Absolutely right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'd say that's better game design. <laughs> I mean, yeah, in most cases in Arkham Asylum, but there's also a, an enormously huge amount of vents in that game that are placed specifically there just to house a Riddler, question mark. But that's mm. not a path, is it? That's still you have to find the vent, because they're not huge, are they? They're not huge, great big paths. But they do I give you a, a blinking indicator in your in your vision mode that shows you where it is. Do they? Well, the, the vents light up. Oh, yeah, okay. But that's still, you have to be clever enough to turn on your detective mode and, and look for it. I think that's different from the... Because this goes back to really archaic game design of, do you go left, do you go forward, do you go right? I don't think there are worlds like that. The world is not a giant maze, is it? <laughs> no. Right. But it, it, it strikes me as really lazy game design. Really, really lazy game design. I mean, in some cases, yes, but also, I don't really mind when some worlds have some quote-unquote gaminess to I don't mind if a, a world doesn't feel, you know, 100% realistic, or 100% like, oh yeah, there should not be three paths here, this is annoying me. It doesn't really bother me in a way. Like, I understand that, you know, yes, it, everything should kind of have a purpose within a game world, it shouldn't just be there just to be there, but also, I... Like you said in, in uh, Fable's case, like if there is a little pathway to the left that leads to a, a, tr- a treasure chest, I mean, it doesn't really affect me in either way. I could just ignore it if I want to, or, you know, it gives me something else to do kind of in my journey. I don't have to stick to a, one straight line that, you know, leads me to where I'm going. And, oh, well, while I'm there, maybe I'll find a dungeon that I can go in and see if there's something in there. But if, if there's a little branching and there's other things to see and do, even if they don't feel like they necessarily would be there if I was walking through a real building, if they do add something to the game uh, in a positive light, I don't really see that as being bad game design. See, I think you've defeated your own argument because you said at the top of the show that you feel that you need to complete games and find everything that there is to find. And I think that you would uh, have... Because you say it's not about exploring a world, it's about beating a world. So what that design is doing is simply making give, making it longer for you to beat that world. You know, those those treasures could just be on that path. You are not gaining anything in terms of... I mean, what, do you get a satisfaction for thinking that, you know, I took the time to go down that path? Is, is that what the, it's about? Because I don't get that satisfaction. Yeah, but I also said that I don't really think that way in every game that I play. Like, I kind of pick and choose based on the amount of enjoyment that I'm getting out of exploring a game world. Like, I, you know, as I said, I did not do everything in Infamous because I just wasn't enjoying doing so. Like, I don't, you know, I don't need, like, I know I said before that I do primarily search for rewards, and I understand that, yes, but I don't need it. Like, it's not something that, like, if you, if someone tells me you, in, like, the next Silent Hill game, if you go down this, this hallway, you will not get any weapons or, or health. 
I will still go down that hallway because I enjoy the world that I'm in. I will look at it and see what I can see in it. And I understand that. And even if that hallway doesn't mean anything in the long run in the game, I will still want to see it just as a, a person who has put themselves into this world and is exploring it. Um, so I think if, as long as it, you know, uh, as long as it's not completely beyond the realm of importance or, 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 you know, as long as it doesn't feel like a waste of time, basically, after you finish going through it, I think that it's okay if they kind of branch out a little bit within their game, uh, game level design and instead of just sticking to a straight path that, where everything has to have a reason. When we're talking about game design or the structure of video game worlds and the development of those things, and we're wondering whether one is better than the other, I think we also have to make sure to remember that there are many different personalities in this world and many of them who play video games. And it also comes down to developers catering to those different personalities because some people absolutely prefer to have a very restrictive world where they can go down path A, hit the end, come back, go down path B, hit the end, come back, and then continue. And they may not necessarily be up to the task of exploring a wide open world because that's just not how they are. Um, I mean, we see, we've seen uh, the RPG progress and evolve from its roots in the, the traditional JRPG fashion was very much like the, the path ABC um, model that Sinan mentioned. And then that evolved uh, on its own branch, but we've also grown Western RPGs off of that, which have sort of gravitated towards the open world style. And a lot of gamers really prefer that. However, we still have gamers who don't like that and will only play JRPGs because that's what they're into. So it's hard to say that one is right and one is wrong when really these games are ultimately made for people and people are ultimately different. I prefer, you know, one thing and, you know, someone else prefers something else. (laughs) I... Totally disagree. Uh-huh. Okay. So, I am not saying that you need to have big open worlds that reflect reality. I, I admit, I did say that the real world isn't a maze. But it. I think what I was trying to imply by that is that it's not to do with creating a world. This is a video game convention. This goes back to text-based games, like I said where it's, do you go left, do you go forwards, or do you go right? Now, that's limitation of technology. That's nothing else, you know. That's because they had to create a choose-your-own-adventure-style game because the technology forced them to. I think we've got to a point now where the only reason there are games with paths, you know, little paths that lead to treasure chests, I'm being trying to be specific about it here, I'm not mm-hmm. saying there are quests or missions or characters here. It's rewards, specific rewards. The only reason for that is padding. I cannot think of any other reason except padding. It is not to... Unless it goes to the idea of a, making a player feel like they're exploring the world. Mm-hmm. And I think the only reason that that feeling exists is because we are used to that feeling because that's how we've played games for the last 20 years because that's how they are designed. 
I think it is totally to do with game convention. And I think it is a game convention which needs to be stopped. I have no problem with path A leading to something and path B leading to something, as long as there is something genuinely rewarding beyond a treasure chest there. It's not just a way of saying you need to go down this path. Maybe it's something for Joe to look at, like he's saying in Silent Hill. Maybe it's a puzzle which needs to be solved and requires some kind of thinking. Maybe it's just simply a whole new city that doesn't have any reward for, you know, in-game reward, but you get something from talking to the people there. And there are some games which do that, but I think there are so many games where, and especially I'm thinking of the gameplay-centric games, you know, that are limited on story. I'm thinking Too Human, recently played, does a lot of this. Uh, Sonic games, which are terrible for so many reasons, but this is one thing that they certainly still do. Uh, I think it's a false way of making the player feel like they're exploring a world. I don't think it's it's good game design in any way. I just can't see it as... I, I do not accept the argument that there are some people who like to play games this way, because I think that that's the only reason they like to play games that way is because that's how games have been for so long. I, I would think that if games change, they would change with them. Mm-hmm. So okay. gamers should be educated to like games that are better, basically, well, by having make, them available. You make that sound pretentious, but I think that's not actually a stupid <laughs> statement, actually. Yeah, games, no, 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 gamers no, no. should I'm be not trying to make it sound pretentious. It, well, it, it does sound a little, a little see, pretentious. You, it sounds no, no, like to I, me... <laughs> you go on, go on. <laughs> to me, you have, you have a vision of, of games in a much better form than they are, and you'd like to see that, but... You, I mean, we all understand that people um, grow fond of things that they're used to, and if those th- options weren't available, then they could cultivate their tastes to something that is possibly objectively better and then the old um, crappy stuff, for lack of a better term, could, could uh, vanish. I mean, I'm not trying to make you sound like you're pretentious, but I, I understand what you're saying. And I mean, it's it's valid. I'm not trying to like you know shoot you down. No, no, no. I, I know you're not. It's uh, maybe I'm I'm worried. I'm sounding a little a little bit pretentious about it. And I to to try and negate that. You know what? I'm one of those people who does get out on all these paths. But I I feel what I'm trying to get at is that I feel like I have to because otherwise I'm missing out on something that could help my gameplay. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's a good reason. Right. You want it to grow. You want the experience to grow more organically for you as a player, as opposed to just doing things because you think you should. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think I, I would like to have. I think if the best example I can think of is Arkham Asylum, Batman Arkham Asylum. I think you know what? Actually, I would have explored that world if there were no Riddler trophies, no achievements, whatever. And this is this is another thing. This is a whole separate argument for another day. The whole fact that there are games game achievements and trophies now, and that designers feel compelled to reward gamers for doing things within the world. Like, isn't that such an artificial way of making a player do something? And I think it all ties into exploration. I prefer... My idea of exploration is a Monkey Island game where I'm combining stuff together and trying to work out what will work in a situation. Or I'm going into a world and I'm looking at it because it's, it's beautiful, or there's stuff to see, there's stuff to learn. You know, that's how I perceive entertainment within a video game. Not going down a path in hope that I might find something. 
in an ideal world, that would be great. I don't think that there would be enough people that would want to play games that way, even if they were conditioned to like games that way. I think the audience for gaming would decrease so much that if that if every game was that, that we wouldn't be able to sustain ourselves as an industry. Mm. And I think that, like as you said, like you want a game without padding, pretty much. You want a game where everything kind of means something. And I, I know that's not exactly what you mean. You don't need every okay. I I'm not saying that you want 100% awesomeness in every single game. And yeah. even Batman uh-huh. had padding in it. It did. It, yeah. it, so, but Batman had a, a relatively small amount of padding compared to how much great stuff was in there. Right. Um, but, like, the, the problem is, like, you know, like Batman is so one of a kind. That's the reason we're hailing it so much, is that it's it really it does stand out so much. I mean, if I don't think that a majority of the teams out there designing video games are capable of doing something to that level. And if they were, we would have more games like Batman. So it, while, yes, I think there probably could be some games like the ones you were describing, but I I don't see it, especially now with cost of development, with the the games that do sell compared to the games that don't sell, I don't think that we'll ever really see that day. Mm. I see where you're coming from. I think that... Gaming has already changed its conventions many times in the in its life. You know, we're beyond arcades now. We've changed the concept of multiplayer to be something that's online. We've changed the 2D platformer into a 3D platformer. There are so many things that people didn't expect gaming to do. And so many things that gaming has refuted. Imagine, you know, we were all games had lives not so long ago, right? And now lives are basically obsolete in games. I don't see. I don't think it's too much to say that redundant paths should be removed from games. I think you're making too much of my demand. I think we've seen enough games show that there are better ways to make a player explore a world. I don't think redundant paths is too much of an ask, actually. I think it's just, you know what, game designers, they know they can get away with it because players don't really notice it. So maybe it's not a problem because maybe it's just me whining in my little a little corner, but I, I feel like I can see it clearly. Like certain games have shown that there are it's these redundant paths are clearly pointless and shouldn't be there, and yet we see them over and over again. I, I, it confuses me, but if no one else cares, then you're quite right. It's not going to change, but I don't think it's too much of an ask for it to change. It is pretty annoying sometimes, though. <laughs> to have to go down yeah. every <laughs> There you go. We need to get that kind of thinking out there. Straight up. It's pretty yeah. annoying. Developers, it's kind of annoying, you know. <laughs> See, I was, actually, I was playing Wolfenstein 3D this morning on Xbox Live Arcade, and I, I get where you're coming from. That game is 8,000 paths that lead to walls and one path that leads to the ending. And it was very aggravating. So, yeah, I could totally see... I mean, I do see that in games now, too, but that game especially, uh, games, I guess, haven't changed that much since Wolfenstein 3D. Well, to, to, to center on the context of padding, right, how many of the other entertainment mediums do you think contain anything close to as much padding as video games do? Do you think music... I think music is maybe the best example of something that contains padding as much as video games. But I don't think plays... I don't think literature, I don't think television, films contain nearly as much padding as a video game does. I think video games artificially lengthen their experience more than anything in the entertainment area. 
I I see it in television also, to be quite frank. I mean, that there's a lot of, like, they have to fill a 44-minute window. And if you technically wanted to cut a show down to the core moments that were important or the, that mattered in the show, it would the, the shows would be 10 to 15 minutes long. And I think movies also. I think that there's a lot of padding within movies that scenes that don't necessarily need, go anywhere or mean anything. And uh, even in, you know, considerably excellent films, there are pieces of that film that do not really lead to anything. And I understand that, I suppose, in a two-hour movie, maybe 15 minutes of padding isn't really comparable to, you know, the three, four hours of padding in a regular game, but it's there. I would argue that we're defining padding differently. I would say that no bit of a movie is designed as padding. The, the, the director, unless there's a budget problem, maybe, but I don't think the director thinks, well, we've got to have this five minutes or this two minutes or whatever as basically something that could not be in a movie. You know, they cut stuff out of a movie, right? Mm. You don't cut stuff out of games, generally. You tend to include, well, you know, because there, there's a pressure to have a game at the end of it that works and that people enjoy. And I think there are very few game companies who cut stuff out. Like, you generally hear, you, you generally hear about game companies trying to ensure there's as much stuff in a game as possible, rather than ensuring that the experience as a whole is enjoyable. So, I think we're defining padding differently. Well, with movies and games, though, it's an essentially different process. Uh, A video game is built, whereas a movie or a television show is recorded. Mm. As an it already exists, the people are there doing things in front of a camera, so it's it's recorded and then cut up and edited. Whereas a video game has to be built from the ground up, so you you essentially have to create every scene, every gameplay bit and piece that goes into it. So it, with movies, there's no real need to create padding. Um, right. It's just if you leave stuff in there that isn't necessarily essential. It's, it's it's a matter of not removing something that doesn't really matter as opposed to adding something in a deliberate effort to extend it. But we hear so many game designers saying they want to ensure that their player experiences are so directed and so led. And, you know, we've seen this renaissance of the linear game uh, with directors saying, I want to ensure that the player is enjoying every single moment, that my hand is... Uh, manipulated every single moment they enjoy. Well, in that case, isn't that, that that sounds like a movie to me? That sounds like, you know, that sounds closer to the what we consider a movie director or a television director. They want to ensure that every single moment is enjoyable, and yet we still see games with lots of artificial padding. So there's it's almost like the directors are saying one thing, but the reality is another. I would say that a lot of times, um, well, first of all, a lot of times when the director wants to be very much involved in that sort of way and you're getting a more linear experience, I think there's probably going to be less padding. But also I think that what they do uh, very often is separate out the gameplay elements from the directed portion of the game. So maybe they're talking about their direction when when they're referring to uh, plot triggers, cutscenes, right. those sort of things. But then all the gameplay bit isn't really their concern. That's just the that's the padding. 
But so I think it, it's like, it's, yeah, two separate parts of a game. Well, what about Heavy Rain? Because I think that's going to be padding free. I've got a suspicion that every single moment is going to have a purpose. Yeah. Um, I'm inclined to agree with you because, like I said, Heavy Rain is more like the choose-your-own-adventure book, and it's it's more like a movie that you just pick the scene that you want to see, or, you, you know, you pick the action, the behavior that you want the actor or actress to do. It's almost like watching a movie that you can tell them what to do, like don't go behind that door because there's someone there that's going to kill you. It's Dragon's Lair. <laughs> it's basically Dragon's Lair, where it is. That's the way it is. All right. Um... <laughs> So what are we exploring? Yeah, that's, <laughs> let's see, how do we get this one back on track? Okay, um, let's just go, let's just go right to the end here, because there's, I think we've covered each thing that we were going to in a very unique way, um, with, with, with Sinan's ideas. Sinan's <laughs> <laughs> crazy ideas. It should be the name of this, this show. Uh, okay. Alright, so to try and, sort of put a cap on this very interesting and um, bouncing-off-the-wall episode of, of Big Red Potion. I will ask all of you one final question. Do you think we're exploring exploration in video games enough? And, I, Sinan, I have a feeling I know your answer to this one already. Um, where do you think... Where would you like... What, what would the next step like to be... What, what do you think the next step in exploration in games should be? Do you think... Like, obviously, we can't just jump right from where we are now to the, the sandbox that you described. What do you... Th- what path do you think the designers should start to walk down to get this ideal sandbox environment out of a game? Well, first they have to decide if they're making a sandbox game or something else, because not every game can be the same, or else the video game industry would be boring. That's my first point. And then I think they should just experiment with loosening the reins maybe a little bit at a time until we graduate to that point of real freedom in uh, a video game world. I got it. I know I'm not very specific at all, but I'm, I'm also not a game designer. <laughs> um <laughs> I think it no it's it's important that it's done gradually because we do have an established audience that needs to sort of wade their way into it rather than just plunging headlong into a new way of playing video games or a new way of exploring video game worlds so maybe just to increase the element of exploration incrementally um and see how it how it works uh, in the gaming market would be a good way to go. Okay, I'm going to be... I'm going to try and be specific. I think okay. we... I, we'll see what happens. I think game designers need to stop blindly rewarding the completist. I think I would like to see rather than paths leading to treasure chests, people at the end of those paths who have something which requires the player to engage in a way that challenges them. So even if you are still sticking to the convention of paths, at least build upon it a bit more, rather than just saying, well done for going down a path. I would like to see game designers explore the way they reward players who explore a world. Okay. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. 
So basically, we all just want designers to stop thinking along the path that they've been thinking for the last 20 years and come up with something new for us to experience within their games. I'm guessing that was an accidental pun. Sure. Absolutely. Exploration is good stuff. Let's wrap this one up. Um, this has been a very fascinating and different episode of Big Red Potion, but I hope everyone out there enjoyed it. Um, I'd like to thank Eddie for coming on the show today. And, um, Eddie, do you have any plugs, shout-outs? Uh, yeah, thank you for having me again. And um, there's GamerNode.com, um, where we have the Versus Node podcast, which is also on iTunes. Um, and my Twitter is... Uh, Twitter.com slash Italian Breadman. There's also Twitter.com slash GamerNode. Um, that sounds like it's about it. Okay, great. And BigRedPotion.com. Yes, boy. Hey. <laughs> Send you your money later. Um, yeah, I was on the Versus Node podcast a while back. It's a really great show. Everyone out there should definitely check it out because it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and uh, Sinan, what do you got? Oh, you know what? I don't have anything, Jay. I have okay. nothing this week. Cool. All right, nice and simple, very good. Um, I'd just like to say special thanks to the Gamer Dork guys. They had Sanan and I on the other day. I believe that episode's going to come out sometime this this week. I think they said Tuesday. So, right. um, yeah. We had a we, really good time as well, didn't we? I, I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. We talked about some things that are um, definitely a bit too blue for this show, but uh, it was a <laughs> lot, a lot of fun. And those guys are really, really great. And uh, I encourage you all to check it out. It's a really fun listen, or it should be anyway. Um, and also a special uh, shout out to Christos, who's going through some rough times now. I just wanted to say uh, our thoughts are with you, buddy, and I uh, hope everything turns out okay. So, on that note, I'm Joe D'Elia. I'm Sinan Kiba. And thank you for listening to this week's Big Red Push. See ya.